improper repairs by truck service center results in catastrophic injury. that change precedents and there are cases that change America. Some you know and some you don't. Join Brian Cruz and Becky Granado of Cruz and Pascara as they dive into the most notorious cases in America and the ones you may not have heard of. This is Behind the Gavel. Welcome back to Behind the Gavel. I'm one of your hosts, Becky Granado. And I'm Brian Cruz from Cruz and Pascara, PA. Today we're going to tell our listeners about the case we just handled against a truck repair center. Because of confidentiality agreements, we can't identify the client or the case. But for purposes of this, we'll call our client Mike. Let me tell you about the case. A man goes to work. He picks up his work truck. He's driving down the road. It's in the middle of the morning, a normal morning. It's not raining. It's not anything unusual. Then all of a sudden, he hears a noise from behind. The right rear wheels come off of his truck. The vehicle flips three times. And on the second or third flip, his head goes partially out the window, striking the ground, and it takes his hair from the front of his forehead back to about halfway back. It scalps him. That's what we knew about the case when we first got involved. So we got a call about this case and immediately sent our investigation team to I-95 because a lot of times you lose evidence if you wait too long in a case like this, and no one really knew what happened. So it was important that we get there as soon as possible. Mike was severely injured and in a rehab in the hospital and then subsequently in a rehab facility. So we knew this was going to be a catastrophic injury case and wanted to secure the scene and see if we could find the wheel that came off the truck. Yeah. So one of the first issues was, gee, is this going to end up being a workers' compensation case because he was on the job, or is there a quote third-party case, which is that case that's allowed to occur against someone else who's at fault? Ultimately, what we determined was it was not our client's fault. He was doing not doing anything wrong. It was not a workers' comp case in the sense of is all the fault on the employer for the truck. It ended up being a question about what fault did the service center have uh, in rotating the tires and tightening the lug nuts on the lug studs of the wheels on this F-450 work vehicle. Well, it turned out to be simple as they used the wrong tool and did not use the Ford-recommended required tool to 
measure the torque on a tire. Instead, they took the easy way out and used a drill type air instruments, air gun, yeah. air gun to, to do it faster. Basically, again, you're putting the public safety below their profits. They're trying to make that faster. So, you know, if you're putting on a tire, most people have never thought about this before. Can you under torque or over torque the lug nuts on the lugs that hold your tires on your vehicle? Well, the answer is yes, you can do either one. You can under torque them, which means they're loose and they'll come loose as you're driving down the road. Or you can over torque them, which is even more dangerous because uh, it weakens the metal. And we actually learned in this case that something we didn't know that steel can stretch. You can actually stretch steel. And that's when that happens, though, it weakens it. So this poor guy is driving down the road, and all of a sudden, because they over-torque the, the tires, the lug studs and lug nuts, the wheel falls off the right rear of the vehicle and it flips. The wheel sheared off, went off into the Florida wetlands never to be found again that's right we couldn't find it we tried everybody tried but what we did have left was the other end of the lug nut so we had to hire what we call a metallurgist or an expert in metal and mechanical sciences he went to the scene where he went to where the truck was stored and he's the one who notified us that the tires the torque on the rest of the wheels was all incorrect. Way beyond Ford specs, way yes. beyond. Yes. And nothing was consistent. That was consistent with our theory. You're exactly right. Right. Yeah. And the metallurgist went further in telling that, teaching us. It was a very interesting case because you always learn something new that you never learned before. He showed us beach marks on cut, stretched metal. And beach marks are exactly what it sounds like. It's the water coming up on the sand when the tide's coming in, it washes up and it washes back and it leaves that little mark. Well, all in the metal, this lug nut had three, four, five of those that you could see by the naked eye, but you could see even more under the microscope. So those are beach marks. So we learn something, even at our age, we learn something new every day. Yeah, it just means the metal was stretched. It showed evidence of that. And then it was sheared off. And... Um, that was something very unique about the case. Um, the other thing about the case I think is really cool is, you know, when you first get the case, we're wondering, you know, how did this happen? How could this possibly happen? And so we had to hire a accident reconstructionist to come in and figure it out. And then there was physical evidence in the roadway uh, to, to support this. And then we also had to hire the metallurgist, like Becky was talking about, to tell us, you know, what kind of forces does it take to, to do this? Because, frankly, this is the first time I've ever had a case where the tire just flat fell off. And it was a pair, it was tandems, you know, two tires on each side on the back of this uh, Ford F450. So it was a, a unique case, had a lot of experts involved. And we also hired an expert in terms of service centers and what the, what they should do. And so... This one actually, uh, you know, when you're using these air guns to tighten them, uh, you have to, to, to be able to measure how tight because they can tighten a lug nut, for example, up to 600 or 700 foot pounds is what they call it. 
the specs from Ford called it called for only 150 foot pounds. So these guys use these guns. You've heard them. So they're doing that so that they can uh, move faster, tighten them up, and there you go, and and be done. So after a couple of years of discovery, and, and by that I mean depositions where people gave sworn testimony, uh, all the experts were deposed. Uh, we were set for a mediation. Mediation is where you the parties all get together and try to resolve the case. Sometimes it can be successful, and in this case, it was. And one of the reasons is uh, that the mediation was set uh, about a couple of months before, maybe six weeks before trial, so trial was imminent. And at this point, uh, the writing was on the wall. So the defense attorney uh, made a very smart decision and got the insurance company to settle the case. So I wanted to ask, I know there was a somewhat um, (laughs) different situation with a witness. Yes, interesting that you should ask that. This is kind of like a CSI case because we had a witness who's riding alongside of our client who gives a statement after the accident that is nowhere within the realm of what really happened. And it just shows you, it wasn't that he was trying to lie or had an agenda. He was a very intelligent man. It just shows you, like on television, sometimes you think you saw something, but you didn't. He testified that the front tire blew and came off. Well, it was the rear tire that blew and came off. So it just goes to show that there is something to what witnesses recall and don't recall in a traumatic accident or when they think they've seen something and it isn't really that way. Yeah. So it'd be kind of like a criminal case if, uh, you know, someone was charged with murder, for example, but then they find a fingerprint on the gun that matches another person's fingerprints. So it's how the, um, physical evidence and how the experts can sometimes in cases clarify, you know, a, a disputed fact or a fact that is you know, not established. Yeah. So what was the defense's defense on this case? Good question. There were actually three main defenses. Um, the first defense was it, it wasn't the back wheels that caused the accident. It was the front wheel that blew and that caused him to go out of control. And that would be consistent with what the witness had said. We countered that with accident reconstruction, and a reconstructionist found physical evidence of at the scene in the roadway that the right rear tires had, in fact, come off first. So the second defense was that it was not maintenance and repair work done by the truck center, but rather it was just an old truck and that these things happen and it was just its time because it was a 13-year-old truck. Uh, The third defense was that uh, the driver, the injured driver, our client, improperly drove the vehicle, including one defense was we thought was kind of silly, but it was there is that we thought he was a hero because he swerved to the left 
in an attempt to control the truck and not hit the family in a suburban next to him. So we thought that was kind of a hero, whereas they thought that it was an improper driving technique and that it resulted in um, the vehicle flipping. So we were able to debunk and uh, knock out all their defenses. Now that brings up the next question. Why do cases settle? Cases settle when the attorneys have worked them up properly. You've got the facts. You've got you've got your experts lined up, and you're right before trial. Then you have what's called mediation, and mediation is required in Florida for any circuit civil case. And mediation is the opportunity for all the parties to get together for a couple hours. Insurance company people have to be there. We have to be there with our clients and we try to bang out an agreement. So that can be very successful. Uh, sometimes you go to mediation, and it is not successful. On this occasion, I think um, the insurance company and the defense attorney, they were very experienced. They understood the risk. They evaluated the case, knew that we had them, and what started out as a zero-offer case resulted in a multi-million dollar resolution okay guys so after giving our final thoughts we're going to go into debunking insurance or debunking any type of questions you guys have left us um one of the questions for today is can i still pursue compensation if i was partially at fault for my injuries absolutely all cases at some point the defense will argue that someone had comparable fault whether it's 5%, 10%. And in this situation, they wanted to argue that Mike was partially at fault because he turned the car. Well, that argument I don't think would hold weight with any jury, and I think they realized that because basically he turned that a little bit to save that family to stop another accident. So you can... The defense will argue that you're five or ten percent at fault. So even if a jury found you five or ten percent at fault, the the judge will reduce your verdict by five or ten percent. So that doesn't preclude you from making the claim. So yeah, so if it's like a million dollar case, if you're ten percent at fault, they just take take out the ten percent of it. Correct. Okay. So another good question is. Um, should I sign a release without talking to my lawyer first? Never, never sign a release. I, I can give you a really good example of that. I was at a friend's house who had a minor case, minor little accident, Mm -hmm. and her insurance company was on the phone and they had faxed her over a release to sign. And the accident had happened about three weeks prior, four weeks And the release, they told her on the phone that the release was just for property damage. But right at the top of the release, it said full and final release for all bodily injury and uninsured motorist claims. So had she signed that and six months later had a problem, a back problem, a neck problem, any kind of problem, she would have waived all her rights to any recovery. So you need to, if you don't understand it and Please, please call us and let us just review your release. One of our listeners asked, what is your favorite type of case to litigate, either personal, property? 
auto accident, which well, is one of the I, most interesting. You know, all personal injury cases have an interesting element to them, whether it's a car accident, truck accident, motorcycle accident, because you know, you're trying to reconstruct what happened and then also understand and appreciate the person's injuries and damages, the harms that have been caused to them. Um, but probably the, the, the most fun case for me is not your routine case anymore. It's your more difficult case, um, you know, whether that's a premises liability case, which means somebody got hurt on the premises, uh, you know, or whether it's a medical malpractice or product liability case, um, you know, those are, are are not as routine. And a lot of the cases we have, you know, a lot of different auto accident cases, after 35 years of doing this, uh, there's nothing I haven't seen or been involved with at this point uh, that I know of in a car accident or truck or motorcycle accident case. So uh, when I get a, a more unusual case that involves catastrophic or really injuries uh, to children, for example, uh, like the one we just resolved, uh, those are more interesting to me because, you know, that's why you go to law school, to have that big case and have a, it's a tough liability or tough question of who's going to have to pay, and then you have somebody that's really seriously injured so that when you do finally get that recovery form, you can see this is what it's going to be used for, this is what is going to benefit this child or teenager, uh, and that makes you feel good. It's a feel I call, We call it the feel-good legal case because you've done something that's significant. Alrighty, so wrapping up, what is your last thoughts about this specific case? Becky? One of the things we didn't mention or touch on is, and this was a single vehicle accident. So some people think I was in an accident all by myself. I don't need to call a lawyer. I had to be at fault. What we want people to know is even in a single car accident, call us because you don't know if something didn't happen or somebody didn't cause something to happen especially if you've just had your car worked on yeah and then we're gonna yeah and we're gonna touch on a current event um i saw the other day on the news um the title is ikea paid out 46 million to a family of a little boy who was basically smushed and killed him um by a dresser Mm -hmm. i know you guys read um a little bit about the that case it was in california um, do you guys have any opinions about that case? Well, the first thing I would say is California is a very liberal state, and the jury verdicts are higher there. However, this situation, we're older than you. This situation has been around and known in legal fields for many, many years. So IKEA had to have known they were making a dresser that would turn over. Um, this is not something new. I think that's why they paid them that enormous sum of money because they should have known or they should have done the testing to find out if it would turn over. It would happen, yeah. yeah, and I think um, one of the key things in this particular story that makes it so egregious, so bad, is that there was a recall and the company knew of the problems and they didn't act quickly enough. So from our standpoint, looking at this, um, 
you know, when a company does something bad and they have a recall and they don't follow through quickly with the recall, then that leaves people and consumers and families at risk and they're at risk of serious injury and harm. So this again brings up another point uh, that we were talking about earlier. And that is, uh, again, it just involved a, a dresser and the dresser was built in such a way that a two year old could tip it over when they pulled out the, the uh, drawers. drawers or the bin. So, you know, obviously that's a dangerous condition and a, a two year old shouldn't be able to do that. So, and, and certainly this is something in the industry that's been known for years and years and years that you have to, you know, a certain height and width and weight. And then you have to, to make sure that it's not going to tip over on young children who really can't defend themselves. I mean, the two year old couldn't defend himself. So, uh, in Florida, I think the value of this kind of case would be, you know, nothing near that. This is California crazy. So I'll call it that. Florida is more reserved. And I would say the value would be between one and five million dollars in Florida. Uh, but you know, it, it, there also could be other factors that we don't know about that led to this. Well, that was what I was going to interject. Most, People who get, sell or give you pieces of furniture that you put together on your own, the bolt, the L brackets come with it yeah. inside of it for you to bolt it to the wall. And this appears from this article that they sent them later. So the people didn't have them. And as this article also said, these now with the advent of Facebook and Craigslist, people are selling furniture. They don't necessarily sell it with the bolts. So you've got Which is to crazy. Make, correct. Yeah. But you've got to make the public aware or you should have had a recall. You should have had some way to do it. Shame on them for causing a child to die. Shame on them. And I'm glad IKEA had to pay the $46 million to that California couple because uh, certainly they lost their very, very cute and precious baby. Well, there's no dollar amount yeah, for true. a person, a child, especially a child. Alrighty, so remember if you need to contact us, our phone number is 407-841-0200. Well, you can find us on Instagram now. Our at is behind the gavel or you can follow our office Instagram which is Brian W Cruz. Our website is cruz and spelled out pesquera with a q. Alrighty, thank you guys for listening. Um stay tuned to listen to a preview of our next episode. Goodbye for now. Goodbye, and we look forward to talking to you at any time you need us. Thank you for listening to Behind the Gavel. Join the discussion on social media at Behind the Gavel. Again, that's Behind the Gavel, all one word. Tune in after the break for a preview of the next episode of Behind the Gavel. Hi, this is Brian Cruz of Cruz and Pascara. If you're in an automobile accident and you're injured, listen up. First, go to the hospital. Next, call your lawyer. Why? Because you need advice. Call Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer, 407-841-0200, 407-841-0200. 
Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer. Imagine a road trip gone wrong. Learn the story of a 43-year-old woman who lost her arm in a car accident. She was riding in her husband's vehicle. She was asleep, leaning towards the door. Her arm was inside the vehicle, and she was wearing her seatbelt. She remembers her cousin saying, Look at this car. What is he or she doing? She then felt the impact. 